0: Hello, I'm Scott Soschnick. And I'm Eben Novi williams Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Michael Barr is off, but joining me this week is Bloomberg Sports Business Reporter Eben Novi williams On this week's show, we have Atlanta Braves president Derek Schiller. But first, let's look at some of the topics for the week. Evan, let's start off in the NFL, a couple of disciplinary matters. Michael Kendricks admits to insider trading, suspended. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. Right away, a team is like, wait, we don't we don't get this. And then we have a funny one with the Jets running back, Isaiah Crowell, who, what do we say, had, had a crude celebratory thing? You know, you say yeah, crude. I,
1: I, I'm interested where it falls in the actual uh, fine playbook. Right, uh, but
0: we we, won't, we don't have to say specifically what it is. I think it was like $13,000 he got fined, yeah, but he, he, he got to deal the it. ball was toilet paper. Yeah, he, he, uh, the easy, yes, there you go. The easy way to do so that. let's start with Kendricks. So the yeah. NFL, boom, done, he's admitted it seattle signs him and now he's suspended
1: this seemed to be the easiest uh suspension that roger goodell or the league office has ever handed down in terms of speed at which it yeah, you've admitted guilt yeah um and a new kind of suspension i, I can't think of the last professional athlete who the insider was trading for insider trading
0: yeah me and my goldman sachs buddy were uh were scheming a ticket scam for insider tips that yeah, just didn't yeah, to for, be a hard one.
1: for our listeners out there who are curious. Bloomberg Business Week just did a story, kind of on the inside dealings of Michael Kendricks, the and, unlikely and, and, pair and, of a, an a insider bank, trading a banker deal. Yeah. buddy of his, you know, and how they kind of hatched the scheme, uh, which doesn't seem like it was all that, uh, all that professional in terms of uh, criminality. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like,
0: professional, you want to organized, all that sophisticated. Yeah, didn't seem that way. But Isaiah Crowell, how about him? Gets fined thirteen thousand. Lance a deal with Dude Wipes. By the way, I didn't even know Dude Wipes was a thing. Dude Wipes I, I, are definitely a thing. Yeah. I had not heard of Dude Wipes, so I, I understand why they exist. <laughs> but I do not under—I did not know that Dude Wipes was a thing. But
1: the thing know, about I, this that I—I I, I don't understand the NFL's fine structure at all. You know, Isaiah Crowell scores a touchdown against his own old team, uses the ball as a piece of toilet paper. Uh, that's a thirteen thousand dollar fine. We have Philip Lindsay, running back for the Broncos who repeatedly punched somebody in a scrum, and Akeem Hicks, who's a defensive tackle on the Bears, ripped an opposing player's helmet off uh, and hit somebody with it. Yeah. Both of those are $10,000 fines. Right. Isaiah Crowell gets fined a third more. Because his celebration was a little lewd, it seems like at a time when the NFL is cracking down so much on the the dangers to players, trying to make the game safer, uh, things like punching each other or ripping somebody's helmet off should be a bigger offense than celebrating a touchdown in a manner that is not uh, is not entirely PC.
0: All right. Well, speaking speaking of some violence, uh, MMA back right. We got we got a big big uh, event big. Uh Big fight coming. Yeah, can you pronounce the name of the guy no. that Conor McGregor is? You know, fighting? You know, all. All you need to know is Conor McGregor is. You know that's that's the guy. Yeah. Right? How so, many? Really? Realistically, how many stars exist in the MMA world? This
1: is the big. This is the big question. Conor is is fighting an undefeated fighter. I'm going to butcher his name. Khabib uh, uh, Nurmagomedov. Okay. Um, Connor is obviously the star. He's been out of MMA for a few years. Uh, there hasn't but not been, out of the news. Not out of the news, but, you know, for you, sure.
0: I, does, you know, does it matter these days? I mean, he doesn't have to even be in the octagon. He's in the news all the time.
1: Sure, and it, and it helps promote his fights. Dana yeah. White says that this fight is going to sell 3 million pay-per-view, which would make it the third highest-selling pay-per-view event in combat sport history. You know, be- behind three fights that featured Floyd Mayweather. Uh, so it would, it'll would it set a UFC record for pay-per-view buys. The gate is going to be second in UFC history to the first time they fought here in New York after it was re-legalized. Uh, this is going to be a monster, monster business night this weekend for UFC. However, as you said, uh, it's this, they're in the same place they were seemingly four or five years ago, where it was Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor
0: and, who and, and Ronda
1: Rousey, who's right. gone now, and and then a, a huge step down to get to the other people that are big draws.
0: Those folks who are in the know of MMA, they, they rattle off a few more names to me when we're talking about stars. Sure. And I just respond, I don't know what kind of crossover appeal you as an insider think that person has, man or woman, but I don't know who that person is. So you got Conor McGregor and everybody else, mm-hmm. right? So... By the way, you see, Barstool did a, coo- a cool deal with the uh, New Zealand. I saw you tweeted team. this. I saw you tweeted and, this. Yeah, and it was like ridiculous amount of retweets and impressions. I don't know how Twitter measures all that, but the little Barstool logo is on the New Zealand Breakers by the part owned by Barstool Big Cat. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, one of their personalities. One, one yeah. of their
0: personalities. I, I, I happen not to be one of the listeners, but no moral objections to anything they do. It's just don't have time. It's very very simple, but. They played the Phoenix Suns. Played very well. Oh, that's right. This is yeah. yeah they're
1: part of the preseason. They're part of the preseason. Yeah.
0: So they played Phoenix. Um, yeah. I mean, Barstool putting that brand out there globally.
1: Interesting for folks out there. When you see Scott tweeting more and more about Barstool, he's just now realizing that he can tap into that stoolie army for retweets. Just don't and come lights. after me.
0: I've heard something. Just uh, <laughs> I. I'm giving you all the promotion you want. I don't know, whatever. But we do like you know, Eric and Ardini was on the show.
1: That's true. Yeah, yeah. We're fans. So yeah. we're,
0: I'm a fan from a business perspective. I'm I'm a fan anytime. You take a brand and figure out how to draw customers and diversify from just sort of media content to a brick and mortar store to fight merchandise to a fight league. Yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting proposition there. So uh, you can see him now in the New Zealand Breakers uniform, which I find interesting. And those were some of the topics for this week. And now, Eben, let's get into our interview with Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. He manages all the business of the front office, oversees revenue driving departments, you know what those are, corporate partnerships, ticket sales, licensing, merchandising, everything under the sun. He also does community relations, public relations, and since the team's announcement in 2013 of SunTrust Park, and of course, you know, the mixed-use development next door, the Battery Atlanta, Schiller's role has expanded to include the oversight of revenue, design, partnerships, and the overall strategy of both venues. Derek, you are here in New York. Thanks so much for joining us in the studio.
2: Thank you. Why
0: don't we start broadly? How's the business of baseball? Because I I hear the demo for baseball's old attendance is hurting a little bit. O- overarching thirty thousand foot view. How's the business of baseball?
2: Well, I can speak obviously from an Atlanta Braves perspective, and from our perspective, it's really good. Uh, I don't see the types of trends that I sometimes hear about. You know, I think those are things that maybe take place in other markets and for other situations. In our particular marketplace. We're doing quite well. Obviously, we have a new ballpark, which I know we'll we'll talk about at some point in time here today. But
0: wait, you guys have a new ballpark?
2: I know, right? Surprising as it might seem, um, but I think that's that's created a an excitement in our city and even in the region. You know, we're a we're a really strong region uh, for for the Braves. We have about six states that we draw from, and as a result of that, we get a. A pretty diverse fan base, people that were avid fans from a long, long time ago, as well as fans that are relatively new to the game. Um, and, in fact, because of the way that the ballpark was built with all this entertainment and other things, we're we're really attracting that younger demo who's coming down there not just for a baseball experience but really for uh, an entertainment experience, something that you know is social in nature.
0: entertainment district. That's <laughs> yeah. what that's what you know, obviously l a Live, Tim Wiki talks about it in Seattle and some other places. Vinick um, talks about it in Tampa. Is it enough? Can you live these days if you just have a sports team or the other 10 polls, whether it's media or real estate? There has to be more.
2: I, I would say you could probably do it. I don't think, though, necessarily, uh, you know, and, and obviously I come from a place of bias, I don't think it's the right thing to do long term. I think um, you really have to think about the overall experience of your fans. And I think the the conventional wisdom, traditional type of approach is really to think about the fan from the point in time that they enter the gate and go into the ballpark or venue, sports venue, whatever it might be, to when they leave. And in our case, we changed that paradigm and really thought about how do we create the experience from the very point in time that they enter the campus, even parking the car from the moment in time that they park the car, well, get out of the car. Parking's
0: a hassle. Nobody wants to deal with
2: it. Yeah. You know, I, I would say parking's a hassle in almost any venue where you have, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people coming in at any one time. Uh, to do it right, I, I would encourage people to think about it holistically, meaning Thinking about parking almost on the very front edge of their overall experience, right? So, in our particular case, just take our our example. You have a ballpark. We have an entertainment district. I'll call it uh, a, a whole development, and we distributed parking all the way around the ballpark. So, as opposed to the old days where you think about those old multi-purpose facilities where they'd come in, you'd have these gigantic surface parking lots, right? And everybody would go park in those gigantic surface parking lots outside. And again, you'd your experience would begin right at the point in time that you enter. Here, the parking's distributed all the way around. So if you're coming from one side of town or the other, you can in effect customize and choose the parking spot, the parking location that best meets what your specific uh, travel pattern is, where you're coming from and where you want to go to after the game. That unto itself kind of changes how you look at things. And then also not looking at things from a let's create parking fields immediately outside of the ballpark and focus everything on the inside. Let's think about how you can have the parking and then ultimately create a whole experience that takes place well before you get to the ballpark. You know what
0: Vivek Ranadive is talking about in Sacramento, drone aided parking. On On your smartphone, your way to the ballpark, it can tell you what's available from the sky and how to get there.
2: (laughs) Well, there's, you know what, in all seriousness, there are a lot of advancements in parking. Parking's not one of those things that, that has happened, you know, the same way. And in fact, just take our case, right? So we were the very first team to partner with Waze. So, in the old days, right, you would, even, even when I say old days, five years ago, you'd say when you entered Waze, you'd hit the address of the sports venue itself. So, in our case, SunTrust Park, you'd hit that venue. Well, now, what we've done with Waze is you customize it so that there's a drop down menu and it takes you point to point travel directions to your parking space, not just the venue. And so as opposed to just getting you close to the venue, you're going point to point to that that parking space. And now Waze has actually taken that a step further and is doing that all across the country.
1: It's all going to be for naught in a couple of years when your self-driving car <laughs> drops you off right at the gate Le- and drives away, right? The drone will drop yeah, you off. The drone will drop you in your seat. Exactly. For, for our <laughs> listeners who haven't been to SunTrust Park, give us a sense of, of how all-encompassing the experience is besides just a 40,000-seat you know, well, stadium.
2: I, I, you know, the very first thing that I would say is if you're not familiar with Atlanta, you have to kind of understand where we are in Atlanta itself. <clears throat> so what that means is um, – in Atlanta, um, it's a big place, right? There's almost 6 million people in metro Atlanta. Um, we're in the northeast, or excuse me, northwest side of town. So uh, you've got two major highways that are intersecting right near us I 75 and I 285. And that little area of town, that pocket of town, was previously known as Cumberland. Sometimes people still refer to it as that. That's the submarket. Um, that submarket, just kind of give you a little ref- frame of reference, is larger or as large as downtown Charlotte. So the submarket alone is really significant and is urban in nature. Where we were, which was Turner Field, was close to downtown Atlanta, but it was uh, separated by twelve, sixteen lanes of highway. So you'd never necessarily walk from downtown Atlanta to Turner Field. So we're in this great little submarket with all these different activities. We're close to a lot of bedroom communities, but also close to a lot of offices and developed real estate that's around there and easy to get in and out of because of the highway system that's there. That's a little bit about frame of reference where we are. And what we also have in our project is is a pretty big swath of real estate. So um, when we started this project some five years or so ago, uh, one of the very first things that we did was try to buy as much real estate as possible. We ultimately settled on about 90 acres. Um, The primary project is about 60 acres of which um, the ballpark takes about 15 of those 60 acres. Uh, so the rest of that is the development and you've got all sorts of things in and around there. The really interesting thing about that though, is it was, despite the fact that it's really close to this urban, uh, location within Atlanta, this Cumberland submarket, it was undeveloped land. And the reason for that is it had, uh, pipelines running through a colonial pipeline being one of those that ran through that property. And so one of the first things that we had to do when we started this was actually get with Colonial Pipeline and have them relocate their pipeline, which is a really... That doesn't sound easy. It's not necessarily easy, except if you have a checkbook that's willing to pay for it. And obviously that's what w- what we did, was we said, can we do this? And they said, oh yeah, ironically, we didn't know this at the time. They do it all the time. You know, they have, with developments occurring all across the country and this pipeline running from New Orleans all the way up to Maine, um, you know, they occasionally have to do these these pipeline relocations, and and this was one such area. So it wasn't completely out of the norm, um, but it wasn't necessarily a task that most developers would have set out to do.
1: There was also a lot of public money that went into the into the park. Something that is, you know, very controversial. Give us an update on how that is working.
2: Yeah, out. have you heard
0: from the Tea Party? <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: so this is actually where I think our project kind of breaks that that whole mold of where. Uh, professional sports facilities have been and what I think is going to hopefully be the new paradigm for sports facilities moving forward, which is traditionally, again, the the teams only looked at the sports facility as as what they were um, developing and what they were investing in. And so in our case, we did do a public-private partnership with, in fact, um, a, a municipality, happened to be Cobb County, which is the area of town that this falls into. Been great partners, but they, they in essence, Um, helped fund just the ballpark itself. But what we also then did was had a promise to them that we were going to do a significant development in association with the ballpark at the same time in the rest of that acreage that we just talked about.
0: Was their money incumbent upon that investment in the surrounding area?
2: So contractually it wasn't because the contract was only tied specifically to the venue itself, but it was our agreement. And what I mean by that is we were going to do it and we set out the very first shovels in the dirt contemplated us building both, being the the Centris Park as well as the development, which ultimately represents about 1.5 million square feet of, of space.
0: We're chatting with Derek Schiller, president of the Atlanta Braves. Now, did the traditional bond market force that to happen or were you looking at different ways? at financing the project
2: you know we looked at all sorts of different ways we've been studying this this concept of what we do for the future of the Braves for a long time you know our venue just just for background um, where we came from turner field was built for the olympic games so it was built primarily without public money um and it was retrofitted with um a baseball stadium ultimately in mind but it was at first an olympic stadium and so it had a number of things that I'll call value engineered into the facility that made sure that it wasn't necessarily a long-term look at the facility, right? Um, They're all things that were done for those two weeks, three weeks during the Olympic Games. Um, One of the things that we really struggled with, right, is if we were to stay there, what would we be able to do? What would we have to do to the facility to make sure that it worked for us for the next 20 years, 30 years? And the problem when you get into it is the, the, the model of how you kind of fund that means that you have to look alternative ways. And, and what we ultimately looked at was what could we do in a development in association with that? That got us thinking about this whole project to begin with. Ultimately, we weren't able to reach an agreement with the city of Atlanta and, and, and the municipality right there. And so we started looking at other places, right? And that ultimately brought us to Cobb County triple A bond rated, uh, County, um, uh, a very affluent part of Atlanta, but also very diverse. In fact, our specific sub is one of the most diverse sub markets in all of Metro Atlanta and, um, and looked at, kind of creative financing ways. But ultimately, it's a, it's a pretty simple formula, right? It's a public-private partnership. We fronted a bunch of the money. They then put bonds um, that securitize the rest of that, and we have lease payments uh, that, that help pay that down over time.
0: Talking about revenue, have the Braves, and you specifically, played any role in trying to lure Amazon?
2: Uh, Still in the running. So I don't know much about the Amazon situation, other than what I read and hear from you all. But um, you know, I think there's there's certainly Atlanta is one of those things that that are one of those cities that is is getting a lot of play. I would argue where we kind of come into play on that is that uh, um, if I'm a company, whether it be Amazon or anybody else, and I'm thinking about where I'm going to relocate. I want to make sure that the culture is good. I want to make sure that, you know, it's a, it's a vibrant city. I want to make sure that there's things for my, my, my staff, my employee group uh, to work on and to play in and, and you know, have quality of life. And I, I think that the Atlanta Braves create a tremendous cultural impact for Metro Atlanta, for the Southeast. And, you know, I, again, this might sound a little quaint, but we, we, create a quality of life opportunity we create fun for for people and for people to cheer about and rally around with their city
1: we had arthur blank on the podcast recently is atlanta the best uh stadium city in the in the country well
2: i I don't think there's any certainly there's no other city of recent era that's gone through the transformation in facilities that Atlanta has not only with what Arthur Blank and, and the Falcons have done now Atlanta United and Falcons in, in Mercedes Benz stadium.
0: Wait, did you think there'd be 70,000 for soccer?
2: I did not. And and actually I was involved in the launch of, of the Atlanta thrashers. So I kind of understand how to launch a franchise in Atlanta, um, we actually ha- set attendance records at that point in time. Um, we ultimately weren't very good on the ice for a long period of time. And, you know, that, that probably created uh, fans to have a little bit of um, um, uh, going away from us. But but um, in addition to Mercedes-Benz, you also have the Atlanta Hawks, who have, have just completed a pretty big portion of their transformation of Phillips Arena, what is now State, State Farm.
0: changing that model, they have that bar down on the first, like those premium seats are going to be a bar and Tony Ressler owns the land where Amazon's looking. I mean, it all yeah. comes back to the sports and the development, real estate, media.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, I, I, again, I think the paradigm is now starting to get closely studied around the country. You know, in our case, we've had about a hundred teams of all ilks, whether it be pro, even college around the world we've had australian rugby teams we've had japanese baseball teams that come and have studied our model looked at how we've done things and so i do think that there is a significant shift and i like to believe that the way we put our business model together is part of that reason Evan, i'm looking
0: forward to the peach cobbler in tokyo (laughs) I is say, it, why is this? Is it zero sum? As
1: you know, as a as a soccer team arrives, that's suddenly getting seventy thousand people for its home games. As you know, the, the Falcons suddenly have you know cheaper food and more people are coming in. Is it better for you if there's more teams in Atlanta that people are excited about?
2: Uh, you know, I am one of those people that believe in the tide rises all ships. So yes, I believe when one sports team, one sports facility does well in a particular region city. I do think that it helps everybody because it, it creates that whole focus on sports as a whole and what sports as a whole can do for a community, going back to that whole cultural impact.
0: Tell me about that community pricing with Arthur Blank in the stadium. Does that put pressure on you to at least look at the same? What, what's a hot dog go for at SunTrust?
2: You know, a hot dog is not that much more expensive than, and in fact, in some cases, our food prices are very similar. I think the, the approach is... Um, there's just two different models at play here, right? You have to almost, as, as opposed to just narrowly focusing on the food prices, you have to look at the entirety of the fan experience and what it costs for that fan to experience that game. So you have to weigh in parking costs, the ticket costs, the um, certainly food and beverage being part of that, and maybe even merchandise if you throw that all in, right? So the overall cost of attending a game. And one of the things that we we are proud of is that baseball tickets, and certainly the Braves are part of this, represent still the most value conscious, the most uh, um – uh, inexpensive way to attend a professional Give me your range. Sportsman. If
0: I want to go to a Braves game, family of four. What what's the cheapest? So what's the, the floor. What's y- the ceiling? You,
2: you you can get a ticket for as low as eight dollars at at SunTrust Park. And fewer
0: dollars in innings. That's good.
2: <laughs> exactly. Um, and you can even and you can even package some of those tickets. Those if you're a very very value conscious family, um, you can even package those tickets with food. So we've got that whole all inclusive kind of mentality where you can get a really really low uh, set price uh, for a family of four and you can get that under, you know, call it 50 bucks. So it's, it's, you know, that, that's a, that's a very value, uh, family friendly offering. And then, you know, if you really want to experience a game and in a, in a great, uh, amenity driven way, we have all the way up to what we call our, our SunTrust club, which is a valet parking, has food and beverage inclusive, including, um, beer, wine spirits, uh, and also the best seats in the house, literally right behind home plate. And those, you know, those are approximately five hundred dollars.
0: Well per the Yankees game. came out with their legend seats and after one year they had to cut the price right away. The demand just wasn't there. How did you how did you come up with the pricing and how's it worked out?
2: So, uh, you know, one of the things that separates us from um, where we were versus where we are today is um, we previously had about 400, what I'll call premium seats. And that means that something that has an amenity associated with them, right? A club, something that's, you know, got something extra beyond just the seat itself. Um, 400, now we have at SunTrust Park about 4,000. And so the, the real way that we made our economic model work, right, is we left, for the most part, all the non-premium seats the same, even in some cases lowered those prices and drove a bunch of amenities into those premium tickets so that those people, those 4,000 seats worth that are looking for some really unique way to uh, participate and watch the game, they want a club experience, they want to entertain friends or family or, or business colleagues or whatever, they can do that. Um, And there's all sorts of different clubs that we have and all sorts of different hospitality spaces to do that. So that's that's really how we drove how the economic model works. But I'll, I'll even go back to, you know, that 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 family friendly model, you know, being very value conscious in mind. And, and, and again, I think this is where baseball as a whole, not just the Braves, but, but everybody does really well with pricing their tickets that make it very family friendly. You know, our particular case, just to give you some, some stats on that, we have over 50% of our fans, over 50% are coming with a, a family member, coming with a, a child in tow. So we have that, that unique situation where about half of our crowd on any given night is a family crowd coming with kids and enjoying that. And there's, there's all sorts of different environment that, that we create for those. There's you know, family-friendly uh, spaces in that. And even if you're really, really value conscious, um, in our particular case, you can bring in your own food with you. So forget low food prices, you can actually bring in, you know, your pimento cheese sandwich or your, you know, whatever it might no, be. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> whatever whatever it is that you're you're interested in, right? And and bring that with you so you can create a, an, a very inexpensive outing at a, at a game.
1: We're talking with Derek Schiller, president of the Atlanta Braves who are back in the playoffs uh yes. first time in in 5 years, I believe. Yes. Outside of a few extra home games, ideally a lot of extra home games what kind of impact does getting back into the playoffs have on your bottom line?
2: Well, in, in baseball, as you know, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's very competitive. Um, making the postseason takes 162 games worth. And in fact, um, maybe in some cases, 163 games worth to try to figure that out. But um, it's, it's not where every team makes the postseason. You know, it's not where half of the league makes the postseason. So this is, this is highly competitive and, and very difficult to do. And then you have all of this attention that starts to get beamed on you once you make that postseason, once you've gone through those 162 games. So uh, as, as we get into postseason, there's a lot of eyes on us. Uh, there's a lot of attention across the league. And even that started well before because, you know, for the, for the most part during the course of the season, we had a lot of unique stories that are going on with us, the Atlanta Braves specifically. You know, you had a really young team. We're breaking out uh, arguably a little bit earlier than most of the prognosticators had predicted. Uh, so we're doing better earlier. They don't know anything. They don't know anything. I, and, and, and also you have these great, these great storylines of individual athletes doing exceptionally well. I mean, the, the one that's probably getting the most attention for us is, is Ronald Acuna. Who's a really young phenom talent um, playing left field for us right now? And is, rookie, is, of rookie of the year going to be? I think he deserves rookie of the year. Twenty years old um, is is really a five tool player and maybe most exciting player right now playing the game.
0: I don't see how this wasn't expected when you have a staff of Maddox. Avery, Glavin, and Smoltz—you should do well. well that, I'm not, I, if we can bring those guys I don't back, understand let why me know. everybody's so surprised? <laughs> part of a public company, the NFL bars corporate ownership. You're part of Liberty. Yes. They don't want what's going on with the Parrot Company to impact what's going on in the field. Correct. Do you ever hear from the boardroom and? How how's that communication? So, work? The,
2: first of all, I think I think corporate ownership gets maligned um, uh, too much. Uh, corporate ownership, in our case, and remember, not only do we have the the history of corporate ownership with with Liberty Media, but also it, it dates back to when Turner Turner, yeah. Turner Broadcasting, you notice, right? And so, I stand cast in if he's listening. <laughs> exactly. So, I used to work for Stan. So, uh, sorry, <laughs> no, no comment. Uh, he was a, he was a great boss. In all seriousness, but but the the concept of corporate owned teams. I think is, is maligned because there's, there's misnomers. You don't, people think that there has to be this one central figurehead for this to be all things going right with the team. We have great funding. We're left alone. Liberty Media likes the way that we're operated. We have a great management team in place led by Terry McGurk, our chairman. And, and, and Liberty basically talks to us and says, what do you need? what resources do you need and to you say money and 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 sometimes that i mean the the good news though for us again going back to our our history of, of corporate owned teams is we know we have to balance a budget we know we have to kind of you know be disciplined with that and so that means that there's a focus on doing the right thing making the right decisions they include as big as what we were just talking about with SunTrust Park and the Battery Atlanta and they mean that we have to think about creating new revenue streams for the future to make sure that we're going to be uh, viable for a long period of time.
0: Your father's Harvey Schiller, 15 seconds. And if people don't know who that is, Google, very simple. What's the one piece of advice that you kept, that your father gave you? I mean, you saw a lot growing up.
2: So uh, uh, real briefly, so he is, um, he's an educator by background. So he got a PhD in chemistry and taught chemistry at the Air Force Academy before he did all sorts of other great things. My dad taught me more than anything, to always be open to learning to make sure that every single day you're learning something and i've applied that principle uh throughout my life you know every day i want to try to learn something new whether it's from you know somebody like you or from a book or from whatever it might be just being open to learning
0: all right derek thank you so much for joining us that is the president derek schiller
2: thank you it's been great appreciate it guys
0: time for takeaways edmund you want to go first or should i
1: Go
0: ahead. <laughs> See, it was always nice. Bar was always there. Bar usually handles this part of the show. Takeaway number one what we say all along that these teams can no longer exist in a vacuum. If you're an owner looking to buy a sports team and just have a sports team, it ain't going to work these days as we see from Derek and what they're doing in Atlanta. It's media, yes, but mostly it's real estate. They have that mixed-use development. It's part of the reason why they get great bond rating, why they were able to borrow the money because they were pledging to do this other thing. You just can't have a team these days.
1: Yeah, and and Atlanta is a perfect place to look at that because you know it's not just the Braves in Cobb County. Uh, the The Atlanta Falcons. We talked with Arthur Blank a couple weeks ago. You know they have a brand new stadium that incorporates a lot of this mixed use stuff. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks and their arena downtown, State Farm Arena. Also incorporating some of this, uh, this is the new, this is the new world, and, and Atlanta seems to be kind of ground zero for, for for the new future
0: stadium. And it's fun when you see who they take on as limited partnerships on these teams if if they bring investors. Everybody can, of course, you can write a check. Now it's all about what strategic advantage do you bring us? Are you an expert in real estate? Are you an expert in media? Are you in finance? You better bring something else to the table than just cash. My goal is if you to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since i was a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I
2: wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week.
0: All right, Eben, time now for the number of the week, and in full transparency to our audience, this is one we did discuss ahead of time. One billion. No pinky up. One billion is this week's number. You tell them what it is.
1: FC Barcelona oh. becomes the Medina, first. Medina,
0: chime in on that. Beautiful, beautiful. I chime I in on Barcelona. He did it.
1: He did it wonderfully. I yeah. love it. Thank you. Now, uh, um,
0: now give me, give me another word. Give me a little...
1: Hola. Or a little Catalan where Hola. you can give me... Catalan?
0: Where you can give me a, yeah. Give me a word. Nothing. I'm asking you. No tienes nada? Football. <laughs> uh, anyway, Javier, Javier anyway. Javier. 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 Me- Messi y sus compadres in Barcelona, ¿sí? Yes. Dime, uh, dime que.
1: Barcelona uh, says they are the first global sports brand to hit $1 billion, sports team to hit $1 billion in annual revenue. Uh, a nice testament and a reminder just how big the business is for you know these big big tier 1 global soccer brands
0: yeah and you have to think about man united the yankees the cowboys that's the company they keep not surprised it's soccer not not at all yeah but
1: the i mean the yankees they're not close right, right. what are the yankees maybe 700 million yeah. 600 million something in that in that range you know they're not even close to 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 1 billion
0: i'm always amazed though with this i wonder moving forward is it enough just to win or do and I'm in this camp. Do you need to win with stars on your roster? Do you need Lionel Messi? Do you need Andres Iniesta? Do you need the stars of the game to win, or is winning itself enough?
1: Well, those things are inextricably linked, right? I mean, if you don't if you don't have well, look, Iniesta or Messi, you're probably not winning well, at the can, rate that Barcelona you can was There are winning.
0: NFL teams. There are NFL teams that don't have the biggest names that'll win. But there are, also, there are basketball teams that also win without the megastars. But I, just having those megastars drives value.
1: Sure. And for those who are curious, on that $1 billion in revenue, there was a net profit of about $23 million, yeah. which you know is not, it's not a huge number if you compare it to, to big companies like Amazon or Apple. But yes, very, still profitable at a huge revenue number.
0: You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time, plus online as a podcast wherever they're available. You can catch us Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Scott Soschnick on Twitter at Soschnick.
1: And I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when Scott and Michael speak with IndyCar champion Scott Dixon.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and wherever podcasts are available.